Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, my friends. Alec Vishal Rubin here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. We've all heard the word kundalini energy and kundalini yoga before. Today, we have the opportunity to discover the true potential of tapping into this energy within us all by hearing from Boulder Rama studio founder, Sukraj. We're coming into a different way of being as human beings. Our sensory systems are so much more developed. There's so much more awareness of what's going on inside of us and attention to what's going on inside of us as opposed to outside emphasis that um, it brings us into this alignment with the pituitary gland, which is the master gland. It knows, it intuits. It's a knowing without knowing. We don't understand how we know. We just know that we know. As they say in Kundalini Yoga, Satnam, which means truth is my name. May this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast illuminate the true depth of yoga available to you. Namaste and welcome to the Yoga Revealed podcast. It is such a pleasure to be tuned in with you here today. And today we have the pleasure to introduce a beautiful person, an incredibly devoted yoga teacher here in Boulder, the founder of Rama Yoga Studio here in Boulder. And she is a wisdom keeper of, uh, of the Kundalini lineage. Her name is Sukraj. And Sukraj, thank you so much for inviting me into your home and sharing with us the yoga that has been poured into you that you so freely offer to everyone in our community. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So for those who don't know the practice that you practice or the practice that you teach or Rama, can you give us a little synopsis about your life and a uh, short synopsis? Cause I'm sure there's always a long story for all of our stories, but uh, something that can lead us from previous to present and what you're looking to transmit. Sure. Um, 
Ah, let's see. So what got me here? I guess maybe that's what you're asking, a quick version of what got me to love yoga the way I love yoga. Um, And I would say being raised as a Catholic got me to start to understand or or appreciate the word God. And um, for me, mostly, that was about two things. That was about singing in church, and that was about going to my mom's prayer meetings at night um, where people would just kind of let go of everything and just pray and go off into tongues. And so I would hear and watch and see people um, pray in tongues, which is a special version of prayer that um, people get to. Do you know what that is? In Do not. Catholicism? Yeah. So it's just, it's something that my mom prayed for for a long time. And as a little girl, I knew that she wanted to have this kind of connection to the divine and learn a certain type of language, prayer, praying in tongues. And so... Um, I would go and I would see people, you know, at night, Wednesday night, I think was when our prayer meetings were, or her prayer meetings were, and I'm one of eight kids and I would climb in the station wagon and go to the prayer meetings with her and I would see this and I didn't know what it was, but I knew I wanted to know what that ecstasy, what that connection felt like. So I think that was a seat of it for me and the seed of it for me. And then I was a very devoted Catholic little girl. I remember the moment I could, I made money. The first thing I wanted to do was give money to the church. And so as soon as I had a job, I had a regular tithing practice that nobody taught me to do that. I just, I felt like I wanted that reach, that connection. And so from there, that grew to being in college, end of college. I didn't feel the connection to the church anymore. I didn't feel that connection to that, to Catholicism, which left me very lonely and afraid. And I started to reach more towards um, health and psychology and human sexuality and physiology, or excuse me, philosophy. And then that ultimately led me to start to take my first class, which was from Richard Freeman, when I moved to Boulder, my first Boulder or yoga class. And... Um, that totally freaked me out because I didn't understand it. <laughs> and I remember seeing Ganesha and I didn't, what's his, you know, what does an elephant head have to do with it? And there was such um, admiration and appreciation for him, Richard Freeman, which I understood as a, as a newbie into yoga. But it also freaked me out because it didn't feel authentic to me. It didn't feel right to me. So I started to go to the smaller classes that he taught that weren't so crowded. So I wasn't mm. as agitated by the crowd of it. And we mm. just were talking, you know, before that, that that studio to me has the most feeling in it of the lineage of yoga in, in, in all of the studios that I've been to, except mm. for the ones in India. So I feel like I was making that connection again to the divine. It was bigger than I could understand at that moment. So I went and studied other styles of yoga and started to learn the physiology, the asana. And that's all I wanted was asana. Um, The other stuff I had no interest in. And then as what happens, I think, to a lot of us, once we get asana down, asana gets kind of boring without breath and without the other limbs. And so my hunger grew more towards the other limbs and, and understanding breath. That ultimately brought me back to Richard Freeman's studio where I could make sense of everything. I had my own experience of it. And then um, right around that time, um, you know, my children were getting older and um, I started uh, going into other studios and kind of becoming more of a mutt, a yoga mutt, going all the way around 
really was into the hot, sweaty, rhythmical dance kind of stuff for a while. That served me really well. And then, bam, I had a personal crisis and um, nothing worked for me anymore. And that ultimately, literally the way the world works out is Valerie Dijambrero said to me, there's a Kundalini teacher in town. You should do Kundalini. I think you would like Kundalini. I heard the word Kundalini and it was like, yes, that's what's up next. And I took my first Kundalini class and for me, that was it. It was really an alignment of so many things. It completely, totally, totally took me out of my comfort zone. I was sobbing within a couple of minutes. I didn't understand. I was attracted to it. I was afraid of it. And then that kind of was it. So that pushed me into um, understanding Kundalini Yoga and going through teacher training and mm -hmm now uh, um, uh, for the rest of my life a commitment to uh, the practice of white tantric yoga which is a certain type of yoga that we practice to really go in deeper into the subconscious that mm -hmm. I do annually um, and uh, yeah so that's the long story short yeah that wow got me here. yeah I love that that's that's fascinating I did not know that about your past so mm -hmm. thanks for sharing that yeah you know there's so much that I'd like to talk about when it comes to kundalini because when i say the word kundalini i have an idea of what that means but i think my understanding is very basic mm -hmm. you know so could you illuminate what when people say kundalini what do you think they're referring to mm -hmm. and what are you referring to when you're when you step into the space mm -hmm. and, and you're teaching kundalini yoga yeah i think that's such a great question and such a point of confusion because the word kundalini is a generic word. It's a known word. Every spiritual practice has understood that that word, that we have this energy inside of us that's called kundalini. It's a psychic spiritual energy that holds the blueprint of, of our destiny, of our life purpose. And so we've known for us to have an experience of ourselves in those Atman spiritual realms that we have to release that energy. And so that energy is called kundalini. So that's a word that's used in many different disciplines. And then we have an actual lineage of yoga called kundalini yoga, which um, is the process through meditation, through pranayama, through drishti, through asana, and through mantra that we systematically, in a technological, kundalini is also referred to as a technology, we go very deliberately to that part of ourselves and release it through all of those different mm -hmm. expressions. And so kundalini yoga is a style of yoga that's very fast to releasing that spiritual energy inside of us. So um, the type of kundalini yoga that I've been trained in is kundalini yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan. And so he is a master uh, practitioner who came to America, first to Canada, in uh, the mid 60s, late 60s, late 60s, and started teaching the secret version of, of yoga to American people. And mm -hmm. so um, it can be really confusing for people. <laughs> what is Kundalini Yoga? I know what Kundalini is, but what is Kundalini Yoga? And all these misconceptions about Kundalini is dangerous and you don't want to release it. And so um, I think it's an important conversation to keep happening or having so that people understand that that's a natural energy inside of you and kundalini yoga is a practice that we we practice to start to release that energy so that we have experiences of ourselves of our real true self i've heard a lot of talk of releasing it and comment on this harnessing it 
harnessing it. That's kind of like a way of surfing it. Is that what I you suppose? Mean I don't know. I mean, I've heard her friends like be like, "Hey, harness and cultivate the kundalini energy so you can use it." Absolutely, yeah. So to me, that's kind of it's a it's an expression. It's it's learning how to open it up and let it move up through through the spine, through the channels, through the chakras. Beautiful. Yeah. So. I, a few few months ago, I had the opportunity to sit with Richard, and he's on the podcast. And I had asked him, and I kind of wonder how you'll respond to this. I had asked him with a whole style, with an array of the styles of yoga that are present today, what is the aim of yoga? And his answer was to wake up. Mm-hmm. And I think that that rings true for any style or any lineage of any mindfulness practice mm-hmm. that we're stepping into, whether it be yoga or Tai Chi, whatever mm-hmm. it is, to wake up, you know, mm-hmm. collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. If there was an aim for Kundalini yoga, an aim that, you know, is a side with to waking up, what would that aim be? The way we would say the same thing that he says, the way that, um, that we would say that is to wake up the intuition, mm. to wake up, you know, the pituitary gland. Mm. We're coming into a different way of being as human beings. Our sensory systems are so much more developed. There's so much more awareness of what's going on inside of us and attention to what's going on inside of us as opposed to outside emphasis that um, it brings us into this alignment with the pituitary gland, which is the master gland. It knows, it intuits. It's a knowing without knowing. We don't understand how we know. We just know that we know. And, and so that's the waking up. And when we know what we know, we don't mess around with things that aren't right for us anymore, no matter what that is. So we're falling in alignment with what we're supposed to be doing for lack of a better word, you know, what we, what we're, um, to be leaving behind, what is our deposit here on this earth plane? Mm. Not what can we gather, but what can we leave? What can we share while we're here? And what can we leave while we're here? And so it is that feeling of knowing what's right for you, knowing what's true for you. And we have to go through a lot of letting go. So, so much of the practice is more about letting go of those ideas of what honestly makes us happy. How do we find happiness in our day-to-day life authentically, for real? Um, And so that is totally, completely Mm. about knowing who you are. Mm. In those moments when we feel these, gosh, just mind-confusing question marks coming up in our lives and that are usually, you know, very Mm -hmm. head-space-oriented and we, you know, the self-critic is just banging on the door how can we get closer to knowing ourselves from our own practice, which, and, and what relationship does that have with our pituitary gland? How right. can we find alignment with the gland? Right. Well, I mean, first thing I want to say is I think you were getting to with that question is the difference between rationalizing and intellectualizing and thinking mm. and knowing. And the pituitary gland knows. That's what I mean. It's a, you know that you know without knowing how you know. And what Yogi Bhajan would always say, you know instantly. It's it's not a thought. It's like, yes, no. You know, it's it's right there. But we have a culture that really values rational thinking and planning, and those are all good things. But those tend to activate the ego, and they tend to get us outside of what we know and into what we think we're going to know or what is what we think is going to be important. 
So the pituitary gland is just as real as your fingers and you can move your fingers around by telling your body to move your fingers around. Well, we can polish up the pituitary gland and activate the pituitary gland through pranayama, through drishti, through mantra, through asana, and, um, and start to access it, make it known and real to us. But it's, mm-hmm. um, it's a process of uncovering and getting to know, kind of like you know, the first Tadasana. I can still remember my first mountain pose, and it was really hard to have my hands up over my head. That was, you know, I was like 18, and I was doing a mountain pose, and it was like, this is really uncomfortable. Now, I, I can't go a day without doing that, you mm-hmm. know? And the same thing is true, true with our pituitary gland. We just don't know what it feels like yet for some of us. And so it's a matter of um, feeling that difference between thinking and rational thinking, which is really good, and we need to be doing that, and then also knowing. Mm. Knowing requires more quiet time. Knowing requires more getting comfortable with nothing letting go and all of those things we don't know as a culture we don't have a culture that values those things and we don't have a culture that values our own happiness and our own knowing of ourselves and so we have to really work for it we have to find our places where we can um, be in groups of people that want the same thing because in that group energy we get to capitalize on everyone else wanting to know what they know too Mm -hmm. and that's very real right now that's why we're all, you know, filling up yoga studios. You know, people say, don't open up a yoga studio. Don't do that. I say, you know, we need we need 10 more on each block. <laughs> and they're going to keep being filled because we all know that we're missing it. We're mm. missing something in our lives. And what it is is ourselves. Mm. And so we have to go to pay places and people who will say, let's just settle in. Let's get really quiet and start to figure out what's there. Mm. I have two questions. One to comment on first is, in light of comfort with quiet time, I almost relate to comfort with quiet time a little more solemnly, and and, and it's uh, finding comfort with my aloneness. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that? Oh, gosh. I think that that is our number one problem, is I think that we are lonely. We are so lonely, and we can be in that crowd that I just described and still feel terribly lonely. I think loneliness is our biggest problem. But I don't think, I think the loneliness is really not knowing who we are. Because when we are with ourselves, when we are connected to ourselves, we are in relationship to the divine. And there is no loneliness in that space. There is just a a deep connection. For me, when I would practice down here for my first couple of years, I would be so lonely coming down here, you know, early in the morning and feel like, why am I doing this? I feel I feel so alone. And it was this state that I had in my mind until something cracked open and I felt the divine inside of me. And when you feel that, there is no loneliness. There is, it's just, um, there's an opening that we don't know yet inside of ourselves, but we have to be willing to chip away at it practice by practice and understanding that there is something softening inside of us. And when it opens up, it's worth, you know, all of those years of, of mm. um, sitting with it. We're hatching something. And I think the, um, the loneliness is, is so important right now. The loneliness and the numbness that people mm. have. Do you think that moment for you was like a neurological I do. opening through I, practice? I do. Through I, sticking with exactly. it. Exactly. I think that 
the one thing that I've understood in my life is jop. I've understood repetition, japa. And, and I've always gone to that. And that has served me because I didn't, like I said, I didn't understand why I was doing this. There was some higher part of me that was driving me down into this room um, to practice because it made no sense to me. I actually thought at times I was really weird and crazy. I didn't know anyone else at Core Power who was doing this. And there were no other reference points to me except my own reference of this is what you have to do. Mm. And... Um, and I do believe the amount of mantra that I chant, the, the pranayama that I do, that there's something that just cut <clears throat> free inside of me. And I had a moment of, of grace, which kept me, you know, going. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. And then the second question to comment on the, from previous moment was, uh, you said the word ego. Mm -hmm. And I had taken your class last Friday and gosh, it was uh -oh. like, I felt, <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> well, it was so beautiful. <laughs> I felt like I could see you as my mom. Like mm. you had this beautiful nurturing mother energy it was egoless and it was so in devotion to, mm. to your own practice. And I, you were transmitting your practice as a teaching mm. through your teacher and that mm. is beautiful to me. Could you offer some tips to some yoga teachers that are probably, hopefully, listening to this interview right now? And how can we transmit that which we practice without ego? Right. And, pause, in the first few years of your teaching practice, did you have moments of your ego coming up, recognizing it? How can you recognize your ego coming up and be like, oh, wait a minute, let's check back in. How can I be more in this space of service yeah. without ego? Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the first thing, and help me out if I forget any part of that question. Those are all good questions. Um, the first thing a teacher, I feel like, in my opinion, needs to be is a good student. Mm. And so we can't ever lose that connection with our own teacher and with our own sadhana. Whatever, and sadhana is just your own private personal practice. However you define it, it's just something that you're hitting. I feel like best to do in your own private space. You can have, you know, a, a group practice outside in the world at your studio or wherever. But I really believe strongly in developing a place in your own house that is for you to sit down and be in your own loneliness with your own self or your own connection to your own divine, wherever, however that looks. So... Being a good student is the most important thing for a teacher. Um, and staying connected to your teacher, whether they are alive or dead, their body, whatever, staying connected to the teachings, continuously studying um, is an important part of that. And because what that does, if we are really doing it, not only do we stay constantly excited and curious and in love with what we're doing, we equally become more humble you know, every time we walk in um, to teach. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I was a student, I saw a teacher once, her name was Dana, and she was a Bikram teacher. And I came in late to class and I saw her, she was running late. And before she walked in the class, she's kind of running to class and she stopped and she put her hands together and there was an ohm um, right above the door. And I saw her stop and pause and that made such an impression on me. She was an amazing teacher. I was a new teacher or a new student. To see her actually in her busyness, in her craziness to start class on time, she paused and she bowed. Mm. 
that made an impression on me that has stuck with me. As a Kundalini teacher, we're taught to say a certain prayer before we teach and, um, and to be recognizing that I am just an instrument. And the more fine-tuned I am, the more clarity comes through what I say. I don't really have any kind of ownership of it. We tune in, Om Namo Gurudev Namo, that hooks us into this golden chain of, of enlightened teachers, of sages and saints, of, of all lineages, come through when we chant that. And whatever needs to be said is said, so that you have the experience that you have of like, wow, that, that whatever it is that happened in that class hit home for you and it connected with you. May that be that that does that for every single student. And so the teacher's attitude needs to be, I'm here to serve you. I, 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 if we get that mixed up, which is so easy to do, and certainly as a new teacher, we feel that all the time. You know, do I have the right music? Am I dressed right? Is what are people going to think of me? It gets it's very agitating to the ego because ultimately we're human beings, and even though we're teachers, we're normal, and we have really sensitive feelings, and we're doing the scariest thing in the world, which is to walk in front of a room and have people look at us and act like we know this like amazing system that saves people's lives every single day. You know, and we're like, so it's. It, you have to go through that as a teacher. You have to be willing to make mistakes. You have to be willing to be, you know, let your mind go all the places that it goes, you know, appropriate, inappropriate during a class and just come back to the mantra, which is help me understand what it means to serve right now in this moment. Mm. Mm. Wow. What is it that you're hoping to transmit to all of your students? I think a big teaching, a big lesson that I've learned in my life recently has been, um, and it certainly is the, the baton passed from Yogi Bhajan onto the students, which is you're enough. You got it all inside of you. You are the one you're looking for. Um, you just need to fine tune it and get connected with, with that guru, with that teacher inside of you and start really trusting that. That is your deepest seva. That is the deepest service that each one of us has come here to to be and to own, which is that true sense of who we are and completely understanding that. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about Yogi Bhajan for those who may not know a lot of information about him? Sure. That's actually Guru Ram Das. I saw you look up to him. That's Guru Ram Das. Um, and this is Yogi Bhajan right here. Um, Yogi Bhajan is, um, uh, he is just a, not just, he's a Sikh uh, man, um, kundalini master at the age of 16, uh, grew up in a very wealthy family in India and um, took that path. And uh, in his 30s, he came to Canada. He felt like um, Americans really needed to understand this lineage of yoga. And up until then, kundalini yoga was private. It was you had to be born into the right caste system. You had to study with the right teachers. Mm. It was a highly held secret because of its transformative powers. People didn't want Americans to understand it because or learn it because they didn't think that we had um, earned it, essentially. Mm. And so he felt like the American psyche actually really needed this technology. And so... He um, was a rebel in that way and came to first Canada, and it didn't work out in Canada. He went to California 
and he saw what was going on with you know the amount of drugs that were being used, the way women were uh, being treated and referred to, and and so he started te teaching people how to do this on their own. So, um, yeah, he's a he's an amazing man mm. and um, has has brought forth. Uh, the only purpose that he would say he's known for saying is, you know, I'm, I'm not here for you to serve me. I'm here to, to make teachers, you know. And then the thing, the one thing that Yogi Bhajan said that really got my attention, because the whole, you know, uh, turban and the white and the whole outfit that came along with it, you know, being born and raised Catholic, that was scary to me. I didn't know what that meant, and I wasn't interested in acting differently than who I was. So when I started doing Kundalini, it was like, do I have to do that to, mm. to do Kundalini? Mm -hmm. I was very confused. Um, but he said, he said something. He said, I am not here for you, and I'm not here for your children. I am here for your children's children. And that just was wonderful for me because that's what I feel like my life is a lot about is like making sure certain problems in my family don't go to my kids so that their kids have it easier so this kind of bigger wider view is very curious to me um, and it really is what kept me kept my sadhana so strong is like I just wasn't I wasn't going to let this pass on I wasn't going to let my crazy neurotic patterns um, influence my daughter's and so that generational view, I think, is a very noble way to step onto your mat, knowing mm -hmm. that it's making a big difference for people that you don't even know oh, yet yeah. that are in your lineage. Wow, that's beautiful. You know, your relationship, you, it seems like you've had a continual evolution towards a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And um, starting from Catholicism to having this little gray area of unknown and just maybe a little bit of insecurity back then and then finding more sureness and, and groundedness and connection through mm -hmm. yoga and then furthermore into where we are today with kundalini. Can you speak to that conversation with yourself out loud and, and how God or maybe a different word you resonated mm -hmm. with, you know, evolved into kundalini and how you relate to divinity in breath? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think in the beginning, you know, what I was taught is God is outside of you. You know, God is something to be afraid of. Um, God is always watching you. Certainly any Catholic, you know, person would tell you that, that total fear. I mean, I remember as a kid just crossing my fingers that I would make it to purgatory. I had an awful feeling that I was always bad because I was, you know, naughty or whatever. And, you know, so that... I think that's a very common feeling that Catholic people have. So that feeling of like God is outside of me, but yet when I'm in, when I'm in church and when I'm singing, I felt it inside of me. I didn't understand that, um, and so certainly doing you know asana for the first time, my entry into yoga was just strictly asana. That starts to get you into breath, you know, and starts to open up things, and then. Um, when I started doing kundalini yoga, in kundalini yoga, we talk about God all the time. That was really offensive, to, not maybe not offensive, but you know, it was jarring to me. It's like, what does that mean? What am I entering back into? And you know, God is the generating, operating, and destroying force, G-O-D. 
or otherwise referred to as get own definition, G-O-D. And so I started to get my own definition of what is God? And so the more I feel like I ask that question, what is God? You know, that, that brings you inward. That's an inward question. And, and then it becomes an inward experience. And then when that happens, it becomes like, well, what else is there to live for? Like if I'm not... The sole purpose of our life is to live from our soul. And if I don't know that, I'm playing the game of Maya. And, and I don't want to play that. So it's really about aligning to what really matters and starting to connect to that. And so now, to like I couldn't, when I first started teaching Kundalini Yoga, I couldn't read Kriyas that had the word God in it because it wasn't integrated into myself. I couldn't say that word without delivering my um, insecurity. And so I didn't say it until I could start to say it. Mm-hmm. And and I feel it right now, what that word means. And so sometimes the word is God. Sometimes the word is the Tao. Sometimes it is Mother Earth. Sometimes it is the divine. Sometimes it is whatever mm-hmm. I'm feeling in that moment. But it's real to me and it's known to me. And it comes out in a different maybe sound, but it comes out from the same feeling, which is mm-hmm. a, a connection. I think that's so, that's such a cool uh, evolution, you know, personally, I'll share just a little bit. I grew up with Hinduism, Judaism, and Catholicism, so the word God was stuffed down my throat, and I had a little bit of a rebellious Mm -hmm. upbringing in my own attitudes, Mm -hmm. and then when yoga found me, I had uh, previously gone through stages of belief, atheist, agnostic, Mm -hmm. believing in something, but I couldn't touch it, I couldn't Mm -hmm. see what it is, and then the word the universe yes like that, that is what works. first got yeah. me in like yeah. i was like oh i get chills yes. saying it like yeah. the universe yeah it's so alive and then i could be like oh breath i feel breath is the universe and then spirit mm-hmm. and then more recently in the last few weeks ishvara yeah and exactly. uh, that it's i think uh yeah that's really beautiful to to hear your own journey from someone who did grow up with the word God and an experience of God and resonated deeply with it. And then it naturally took its own mm-hmm. stepping stones. Mm-hmm. It's really neat. And I think that that's an important part, what you just said, Ishvara Pranayadana, right? The, the final Niyama. It's not the last one by accident, <laughs> you know? And in Patanjali says in the sutras four times, hey, if you want to get there the easy way, surrender. Mm. surrender and so actually having that daily study of Ishvara Pranayadana once I started to study the yamas and the niyamas that helped me and this is what I think is missing you know from the yoga teachers is that we're not going back to the scriptures as much as as would help us and if you start to study just those yamas and the niyamas every day and you bring an element of that into your practice into the asana practice that's what students are going to come up to you after class and say made a difference. They're not going to say, wow, like you do a great crow pose. I mean, they might say that, but what's going to make a difference to them is that there's this word called satya, and it means that you have to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the stuff that we're hungry for. That's why yoga starts off with those things. So Ishvara Pranayadana helped me to understand the importance of surrender. And when you do that, there's that opening there's that opportunity to actually feel the universe mm. inside of you. So let's talk a little bit about the not yamas and niyamas. Close to around maybe 
five years ago, four and a half years ago, I was able to sit with you in, in a beautiful circle and I took your 40-day mm-hmm. journey to self mm-hmm. and it was a total unpacking dissection of the yamas and the niyamas. Mm-hmm. And before we talk about the yamas and four of the niyamas, I'd like to talk one moment on Ishvara Pranidhana again. Great. I find that in an asana practice, the more consistently that we can show up, with awareness to Ishvara, we can tap into her. Mm-hmm. We can feel her surrender through asana. And I think that takes time. Yes. My God, does that take yes. time? Yeah. Now, once the asana is done, hopefully we don't roll our own morals up with the yoga mat and stuff it to the side. How do we stay tapped in? How do we stay tapped in with Ishvara during our to-do list? During the chaos of mm-hmm. having to go from A to F throughout town and making our, 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 you, you get what I'm, I think you I get what I'm getting to say. I do hear what you're saying. And to me, that is where, um, I just read this great quote from Yogi Bhajan yesterday where he was saying, you know, what you show up and what you do in the morning, that's, that's your practice. That's, you know, what you do during the day, that's meditation. And so that is why we practice. That is why we serve ourselves to center ourselves so that we can, number one, the, I think the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to simplify our lives way more. So there's not an A to Z list every day. <laughs> a lot of us are just spending a lot of extra time on things that we don't actually need to do. And I think that the the more direct we get with our true selves, the more unnecessary things start to fall away. So I think that kind of cleansing process needs to happen with us. And then it's a constant reminder I always say we have to remember to remember so to me chanting during the day really helps me Mm. there are certain chants that are my beige mantras there are my seed mantras and so it helps me to remember to not take the whole thing so seriously Mm. and to you know sometimes for me what I do is I love to work so much that I and it's been a real problem in my life that um that I put my work in front of, you know, my house and what I do, you know, as a mother and as a wife. And so um, I have to remember what is the most important thing to me. And remember that I have a nervous system that just wants to work like crazy. And so if I am not working on relaxing that so that I'm actually putting energy towards the things that matter the most to me, Mm. that I'm creating so much more problem by not living in alignment with what matters the most to me, which is this house, the people that live in this house with me, my husband and my children, um, and remembering why I'm working that hard. Um, it, it, it keeps me constantly in this connection of, of, um, essentially doing less. Mm. (laughs) Even though I do a lot, I'm learning the older I get, how to do less of it while I'm actually getting more done. Mm, beautiful. Do less. Do less. <laughs> to That's do what more. yoga is. is look, yoga is that process of letting go. It's more about what can you let go of than mm. what can you get. Nice. And let's tap into the yamas and niyamas. How can we live yoga more fully with the yamas and niyamas? Well, to me, the yamas and the niyamas are the legs. When you have those established in your practice, and the yamas, for people who don't know, are just the ethical vows, the, the ways that you make commitment to yourself about how, how I am going to be in the world. So these are like this, it's this internal map. And it, it doesn't get changed by how the world treats you. 
It's a vow. It's a commitment to yourself about how you're going to be in the world. So someone can treat you very poorly. It may upset you, but it doesn't make it so that you're going to treat them poorly, you know, because you've made this vow of like, you know, one of us has to take the higher road here. This is always the way it is. And those of us, I feel like, who are lucky enough to get these teachings, that's a lot of what we're doing is we're up-leveling the situation. And we have ability to kind of chomp through the problems that come up with it that other people don't. Um, and so we want to take that step forward. Um, so, you know, making that commitment of like how you're going to show up and, and giving that, again, just the lessons that are available to us, it, it's all laid out and it's just a matter of understanding it in our day-to-day -day life, how it is we live nonviolently, how it is that we can speak honestly, how it is we can not take more than what we need and how it is that we can share what we have. All of those things are, um, you know, they have to be things that we study. We have to study them and start to know how to say those words as ourselves, as a yoga teacher. I don't think a lot of teachers could tell you what the yamas and the niyamas are. I study them all the time and I have to stop and think, you know, even though I study them. Um, and I think that they're really valuable tools because without personal ethics, without that internal state, we're very easily swayed. We're very easily manipulated or coaxed into certain situations and so we have to have these guidelines that we can just kind of hold on to sometimes when the weather gets really tough and just do what you know is right for you and let everything else fall in its own place so once we have those you know those guidelines established for ourselves then I think we have some legs we could start to understand how to move around especially because asana brings so much power in. If you don't have ethics and you start building your power up, your own personal imbalances, which I believe are mostly for us in the lower chakras, they're going to get they're going to get ramped up a little bit. So um yeah. Crucial foundations. Totally. Then totally. taking the yamas and the niyamas and, uh, you know, I think for many, myself included, asana, yourself included, is the introduction to mm -hmm. yoga. What are the best ways to tap into the yamas and niyamas? How do we do that? I think um, to study them, literally. To take one, all you have to do, like if the, for the yoga teachers, is just get one of the yamas mm. and do a Google search, do a YouTube search, like talk to or listen to a bunch of different people talking about what those are and then root it in your own experience. This is when anything becomes powerful for us as a teacher is when we're talking from our ground. Mm. Um, and then start to share that. I think if you just say to a student, hey, you know, there's this word, you know, ahimsa, and it means that you actually, you, you know, when you start to explore how violent you are in your own mind with your own self, that's pretty powerful. I still remember the first time I heard that word. Hmm. And I still remember thinking, I'm not violent to myself. Until I started listening to what I said to myself, then I realized there was a pretty <laughs> serious war going on there. So that is how we can help people um, liberate and free themselves. Yoga is a self-initiating process. No one can do it for you. But all you have to do is plant the seed for someone to begin to understand that they actually can do it for themselves. Up until then, I don't think we know that we can do it for ourselves because we're lonely and we're numb. Hmm. And so we have to have that first 
sound. That's mm. first vibration. And Sanskrit has such a high vibration. Mm. Gurumukhi is such a high vibration that there's that knowing without knowing. I don't mm. know what Shanti means. People say it all the time. But I know I like to say that one, Shanti. Shanti. Mm. People get into Shanti. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so knowing... Uh... And seeing how clear the yamas and niyamas are the returning foundation of your practice, what could you say are the most valuable components of your practice? Of my personal practice, um, my sadhana, Mm. you know, what I do in the morning to connect. Um, One of the things that I'm challenged right now, and I speak to this all the time, which is probably, it's probably the other way around. I speak to it because I'm challenged by it. Um, is waking up in the morning and not going right to, you know, like what I say is like, just feel like what are you connecting to first thing in the morning? Mm. Are you going to connect to the internet? (laughs) Or are you going to connect to the divine? And um, so... So that's my challenge right now. Like, ooh, like I, you know, I don't, I can't even bring these things downstairs anymore. I have to figure out how to do music because if I hear that beep or I, you know, especially now owning a studio, it's like, what, who needs me? What's going on? So, um, my own sadhana is the way that I can can get there, and just my own like starting off the day. This is what's the most important. This is where I'm going to put my energy right now. I'm going to build from this place, and then doing. The very opposite when I go to bed. Mm. Like really giving all of my earthly concerns up to God. All right, I'm going to bed. You take care of them. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll say my prayers. Mm. I'll say my mantras. I'll do my own nighttime practice. And then I'll go off like that. Mm. And speaking of uh, Rama, Mm -hmm. you have been such a rock in the community over the last many years. And gosh, the, the Sangha over at Rama is so threaded and weaved together it's Mm. quite beautiful yeah what tips could you offer any potential studio owners listening on how to cultivate a strong community Mm -hmm. because you've succeeded yeah i mean the studio has been built by every single one of us and no none of us it's so funny i was thinking about this morning so much nobody like even um at the studio right now, I have three employees and then, you know, a bunch of people who do a lot of seva. Everybody is pitching in and doing what they can do. And nobody's role feels to me more important than anyone else's mm. role. That's the feeling that I have around this community. Mm. It's like we're all showing up, whether we're students, whether we're teachers, whether we're, you know, uh, mopping the floor, whether we're emptying the garbage, whatever it is, everyone is showing up and putting in what they can and with that comes that feeling that you got to experience, you know, when you took class of like, this is a, this is a whole thing here. This is, this is um, everyone coming together as a community. I would say to any yoga teacher because, or anyone who wants to open up a yoga studio, and this is the opposite of what was told for me for years, everyone said, don't do it. Do not do it. You're never going to make any money, which is true. Um <laughs> Uh, and it's really hard, which is true, but I like things that are hard. I like challenges and here's what I'm really solid in right now, six months into owning a studio is that there are more things valuable than money. There are, there's happiness and I am happy waking up in the morning knowing that I'm teaching every single day. 
uh, maybe not every day. I, I, am, I am working to have at least a day off. That hasn't happened yet. Um, but I would say do what makes you happy. And there is a wealth and there is an energy to that uh, that that far exceeds, you know, the forms of um, money and value that we put on um, on money. Uh, so I would say to any yoga teacher, do what's in your heart. Know that you're going to be in for some challenges. But, you know, it makes a difference to me to know that everyone has come in, you know, to set the tone for their day to do something that's really important. And every one of those students goes off into their world and that ripple effect that Patanjali talks about, you know, that our yoga practice has, continues to make an effect on our community. You know, everyone else goes out there. So, um, and I also believe that there is, you know, uh, even though people have said to me all the time, you're never going to make any money, uh, the studio is doing well. You know, we're mm. doing, we're six months into it, we're doing well. So there is, there is a path to that. I think that there's all these barriers that we have and essentially what it comes down to whatever you love do it and trust that wherever it takes you be smart plan but trust wherever it takes you is is going to be the right place in your life so that idea of having 10 yoga studios on every block i say go for it Mm. because it's it's a hunger where did i hear the other day i heard someone say something um oh i can't remember what it was I think it was like yoga studios and gyms. Like the more people get in crisis, the more problems that there are in the world, the more people are going to these places because that's Ishvara Pranayadana. Mm-hmm. We don't mess around when we're in crisis. We have to go to what really counts. And what really counts is what am I? What's going on? And that that's the language of Ishvara Pranayadana. And that's why yoga studios, I believe, are going to continue to be successful mm-hmm. um, businesses everywhere because that's the work that we're all up to. Hmm. I was recently told in light of being, a, I'm not a studio owner, but in light of the, the ways of just uh, cultivating what you love, mm-hmm. whether you're getting paid for it or not, and uh, maybe you can demystify what I'm about to say. Saraswati first, and then Lakshmi comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like um, it's just that. It's like disconnecting to what you want to do and not letting this outside idea um, you know, prosperity is based on giving. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all Mother Earth does is she gives and she gives and she gives. And we can't kind of give. Like, we want to really open up and really give. And when we do that, we get. We truly, truly get. And it, and it's the, the idea of what we're getting that I think we need to open up our vision. It's like we're getting our happiness. We're getting the feeling of, like, we've done everything that we could do for that day. And the more... The more we have, the more we understand ourselves. My experience in my life has been, it has put me in a position that the only thing that I want to do, is to actually give. That's all I want to do, is just to keep giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I've learned how to take care of myself in that, so I'm not depleting myself, or if I do deplete myself, how to rein myself back in. But um, it's through that that giving that we begin to to receive all of those mm-hmm. things. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 you have to experience it. People who are struggling with money and, you know, lack, um, I think a very simple thing that you could do is just start, start to say thank you. Hmm. You know, I always say, if you can make thank you the most positive, popular word in your vocabulary, 
just try it for one day. Say thank you to everything. <laughs> it really does start to yeah. shift our internal environment. And we can start to say it's not so bad. I thank can, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I think uh, one other thing you said from class that just came up when you said thank you was uh, if we can approach our life not as a right, but as a privilege. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What a mental shift that is, right? That it is a, a privilege. And that there is, you know, the yogis would say there's a certain amount of breaths that we're all coming here to live. And there's nothing that's going to kind of mess with that. And so when we feel that that privilege, I think that it starts to can connect us to a fearlessness around our own life and a, a willingness to actually be vulnerable and try at the things that we love. And so that that's when it starts to really feel like it's a gift, you know, because we're... We're pushing outside, and I believe this is the work of all of us right now, is to push outside of what we know. Hmm. We have to, you know, that image of a, a lobster, when a lobster um, needs to, it gets bigger, its its shell gets too tight, and it has to go underneath a rock, and underneath the rock, it, it you know, sheds its own shell, and it lets itself get hmm. a little bit bigger, and then it gets that new shell on it, and then it kind of crawls out we're kind of all kind of finding where that rock is and getting rid of that old stuff so that we can let ourselves be as big as we really are. And, um, and that takes a lot of vulnerability. And, um, and that's, again, where Ishvara Pranayadana is going to save the day because you know that it's always got your back. That divine has never let any of us down because we're all still here. Mm. We've made it through everything. Mm. This will be a side storyline that will weave back into the Ishvara Pranidana and fearlessness comment. A few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine. We were talking about Mother Teresa. Mm. And uh, I was thinking, well, who in my life like could I just resonate with that I could be like, they're kind of like Mother mm. Teresa. And, and you mm -hmm. have just such a beautiful exude of compassion, mm -hmm. as she does. And uh, she was asked, what lights you up? And she said... When I can hold someone's hand while they're dying and watch them smile as they pass and myself smile as well. Mm. And uh, that to me was fearlessness. Mm -hmm. So the moment you just said fearlessness with Ishvara, that is what came to me and I wanted to share that. Totally, yeah. Yeah, Mother Teresa is an amazing teacher for all of us, what she did. I mean, she just was, she got right to it. And she was driven by that sense of what she was supposed to be doing there was nothing that she broke down some a lot of barriers to do what mm. she did and has been like this fearless teacher for us of you know standing up for for what's right and mm -hmm. and uh serving mm. and so with that said what lights you up what lights me up um i think sharing you know mm. sharing what the practice the liberating qualities that this practice has and helping people to understand how to let go of these ideas of who we think we should be it's it's you know just really really understanding that it's all okay no matter what's happening in our lives that it's okay and if we can allow things to be the way that they are and to really um, accept the conditions of our lives as they exist right now that really lights me up, but it also really softens me and it helps me to really have that experience of like, there is nothing wrong. No matter what's happening 
in all of our lives right now, in the world right now, that, that it's not wrong. Mm. It's, it's, there's a huge cleansing purification process that's happening for all of us right now, and it's releasing a lot of things that, that are really ready to be released and let go of. And mm. to be able to do that every single day and to study and, you know, we're in the presence down here of the City Guru Granth, which is the holy book right up there. Mm. And to feel um, all of the teachings of truth available to us right now, um, that's the one great thing about the computer is that we can access it at any point. That totally lights me up. Mm. That totally lights me up. Thank you. Yeah. One last question. What would you offer to the practitioners and the listeners, the teachers, whomever is listening as they carry forward on the path of being a human being and being a yogi? What little golden nugget would you offer? I would say to slow down. Mm. I really would. I, I really would, you know, slow down, get outside because there is, there it is all right there in nature for us. If we can take a meal you know, try to, for the next week, have one meal outside. If you can't sit outside on your porch, open up your window, look out the window, and have outside, have nature be your reference point because nature gets us out of ourselves, outside of the idea of ourselves and into the experience of ourselves. And I believe that when we get there, we start to get really good with who we are. Mm. We start to know what we know, and that's what we all need to do right now is just know what each one of us knows, and then share it from there. Thank you so much, yeah. Sukraj. Such a blessing and such a privilege to, to sit across from you and to share the, the, the wisdom that you're so passionate about. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Yoga Revealed. This is Alec Rubin, and it is such a pleasure to be learning more about yoga with you. If you have an interest to try a new style of yoga out or dive deeper into kundalini with Sukraj, visit ramayogaboulder.com for class information, as well as receiving 10% off of her 40-day Journey to Self meditation program, which navigates the integration of the yamas and niyamas in your personal life. Thanks for listening again. If you haven't signed up for the Yoga Revealed newsletter, please do so by visiting yogarevealed.com and hit subscribe. We have amazing events, gifts, and opportunities for you, such as full scholarships to teacher trainings, music and yoga festivals Alec and Andrew will be at, along with the most exciting interviews coming to you. We look forward to co-creating beauty in this world. Until next time, namaste. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.